all you spooky listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Morbid Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Nicole. I'll be taking you through some of the most heinous, shocking, and morbid crimes, including, of course, the paranormal. Listener discretion is advised. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram at morbid, period, curiosity, period, TC podcast where you can find photos related to our cases, including crime scene photos on occasion, of course, with the exception of postmortem photos. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy. Back for episode 10. So I want to go ahead and give you the sources that I had pulled from uh, for this episode about Tara Calico. So, of course, the wonderful wikipedia.org. I think I have insane.com and yeah, it's .org. Anyway, so all that's interesting.com, I found an article by Kara Goldfarb. Um, Inquisitor.com, I found one by Tara Sigler. A thoughtcatalog.com article by Jordan Windagel. And anqjournal.com by Clara Garcia. So those are the sources that we pulled information for or from, uh, for the episode today. So I hope you guys enjoy. All right, guys. So Tara Calico, um, is still missing to this day. So this is going to be our first, um, unsolved mystery, um, disappearance on morbid curiosity. So I am going to kind of spool the story just a little bit. Um, I do want to give you some details about Tara that way, just in case anybody has possibly seen her or knows anything, because somebody always knows something. So I'm going to give you some details about her person, about her, um, about her um, last seen time, you know, all that kind of thing, and who to call and who to contact if you have any information. So Tara was a student. So, um, she was about, she was 19 when she went missing. Uh, her birthday is February 28th, 1969. She was approximately 5'5 to 5'7 at the time of her disappearance, about 115 to 120 pounds. She was dating, although she was single, so she's not going to have a wedding ring or anything like that. Uh, some characteristics. She was a white female, Caucasian. She had brown hair with a cowlick on the right temple. So on the right side, um, she had hazel eyes, a large scar on the back of her right shoulder, and a dime-sized brown-colored birthmark on the back of one of her legs. Now, FBI is offering a reward to up to $20,000 for precise details leading to the identification or location of Tara Lee Calico. The information leading to the arrest and or conviction of those responsible for her disappearance. If you know something, please say something. It has been so, so many, so many years since 1988 that she has been missing. Her family needs answers. Now, if you find a bike, she was riding a neon pink Huffy Mountain bike with yellow control cables and sidewalls. That bike never been found. She was also wearing a white t-shirt with First National Bank of Bellen, uh, B-E-L-E-N, uh, so it's Bella, Mexico, on it, size medium. She was wearing white shorts with green stripes, white ankle socks, and a white and turquoise avia tennis shoes. Um, calico, she was also wearing a gold butterfly ring with a diamond insert, a gold 
um, amethyst ring and half inch gold hoop earrings. Now, she was um, last seen around 11.45 a.m. on Highway 47 in Valencia County. Um, she was riding the bike. Like I said, her and the bike has never been found. If you know anything at all, please don't make up details. Um, if you know anything, please contact the Valencia County Sheriff's Office at 505-866-866. 2400 or the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI or you can hop on to FBI.gov and search Tara Lee Calico. You scroll all the way down past the missing poster and you can submit an anonymous tip online. Um, you can contact your local FBI office or the nearest American embassy or consulate. Um, so please, if you know anything, you know of anyone who knows anything, it's time to find her and bring her home. So another thing before we get started, um, Vanished, the Tara Calico Investigation, um, is a podcast by her friend, um, Melinda Esquivel. So she discussed like different theories regarding her disappearance and like updates you on like everything that, you know, the FBI or police may tell the family, like she does all that kind of stuff. So if you guys will follow her, um, I do believe she moved to Patreon only for actual like theory podcasts, but updates are still on Apple pod. Um, so if you guys will check her out, I think she also has an Instagram and maybe a Pinterest, um, from what I found, but just search her name. That's Melinda Esquivel and that's spelled E S Q U I B E L. All right. So like any other missing persons or, um, murdered persons, etc. um, there's not really a lot of detail about them as a human being um, or a living person, how they were, what they liked, that kind of stuff. I had kind of a hard time finding that as well for this case. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people who go missing or murdered or anything like that gets overshadowed by the tragedy that fell upon them. So, uh, what I could find about Tara Calico, um, many who were like familiar with her described her as an ambitious person. Uh, she planned out most of her days by trying to fit in as many activities as possible, often making detailed daily schedules. She excelled in high school and was a sophomore at the University of New Mexico at Valencia, where she was studying to become a psychologist. Now, she worked at a local bank at the time of her disappearance. Uh, Tara was also an extremely athletic young woman who enjoyed running and cycling, and friends say she was someone most people would just admire. Now, Tara was 19 years old um, on Tuesday, September 20th, 1988. She left her home in Berlin, New Mexico about 9.30 a.m., she was going on her regular 34-mile bike ride, which you go, girl, because I can't even get a mile and I'm tired. Um, so that was amazing. Like I said earlier, she was very athletic and she loved to run and cycle. So Tara's bike actually had a flat tire the morning 
that she went missing. So she borrowed her mom's bike, which was the huffy pink bike that I talked about earlier with the yellow uh, control cables. Um, Unfortunately, that day, she never came back home. So her daily ride typically took no more than about two hours, um, like her little path that she went. And her and her mother, Patty, actually normally rode together. But on previous rides, Tara and Patty came across this enraged, suspicious vehicle. Um, Apparently, that person uh, tried to run them off the road and was, like, following them. So, Patty was a little too disturbed and scared to keep riding with Tara. Um, But Tara was determined because she just loved to ride her daily rides. Um, I guess it was kind of like a getaway, you know? So, her mom actually encouraged her to carry Mace, but she declined. Um, I'm assuming she was just like, it'll be fine, you know, like we all do. Ladies, protect yourselves. Please, carry some form of self-defense. Okay, Mace, a whistle, an alarm. There's all kinds of of stuff that you can get now. Even, like, um, I forgot what the company is called. I'll look it up by the end of the episode, but there's one that has like necklaces and bracelets and scrunchies. You literally press a button and it sends police your information, letting them know you're in danger and you can't call. So I think that is amazing. Now, granted, may run you a couple hundred dollars, but it's worth it in the end. So uh, she did not want to carry the mace. So she pretty much just told her mom, nah, she kind of laughs it off, you know. She wasn't really worried about it, I guess. So, she was last seen along her route around 11.30 a.m. A suspicious pickup truck was, like, following her again. I'm I'm not really sure if it's the same person, but, I mean, coincidence or nah. Like, hmm, never know. So, on the morning of her disappearance, she told Patty, her mom, to come and get her if she was not home by noon. Now, she had plans um, to play, like, a tennis date, I guess, like, play tennis with her boyfriend around 12.30 p.m. that day. So, when she did not return, Patty went looking for her that same day, drove down the route, you know. She actually went down the bike route twice looking for Tara. Um, She then called local hospitals and rescue units and came up with absolutely nothing. She then called the Valencia County Sheriff's Department. So the next day, Patty went out again, uh, searching for Tara. She done the bike ride again, like the route. She was searching everywhere. And then she found something kind of terrifying. So Tara had a Walkman and Boston tape that she had while she rode her bike. She found broken pieces of that Walkman and Boston tape on the side of the road. Uh, The spot was about three miles from her home. Now, police immediately um, suspected foul play with that. So, within five hours, Tara's name was entered into the NCIC, or the National Crime Information Center. She was entered as a missing person with a notification that foul play was feared. An extensive search lasted two weeks involving local and state police, various military units, and hundreds of volunteer searchers that were searching on foot, horseback, and four-wheelers. 
Um, they also had airplanes and helicopters as well during the search. Now, bad weather, unfortunately, complicated the search, so neither Tara nor the bike were ever found. The only discoveries were some bike tracks, uh, which indicated that she had gone off the road onto, like, a soft shoulder. Um, the Boston cassette tape, which belonged to Tara and was found by Patty, and the viewing window from her Sony Walkman radio and cassette player. Now, four days after Tara's disappearance, more pieces of the Walkman and Boston tape were found near the remote John F. Kennedy campground. This was over an hour's drive from Tara's home um, on Brug Drive back in Berlin. Now, detectives with the Sheriff's Department interviewed seven witnesses who reported seeing Tara riding her bike north toward her home that day. Five of those witnesses saw an old, light-colored probably a Ford pickup truck with a camper following Tara at various points along the New Mexico 47 route, the road. Um, now, all of the witnesses told police they saw her wearing earphones and appeared unaware of anyone behind her. Now, ladies, please, 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 one woman to another. I'm not blaming her. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying it is super important to be aware of your surroundings 24-7. I don't care if you are putting groceries in your car, getting gas, walking out of a bar, checking a text message. Please be aware of your surroundings. Anytime, anytime, if you walk out of a restaurant, a bar, especially at nighttime, getting groceries later in the day, stay off of your phone. Keep your headphones out of your ears. Be aware of your surroundings. It gives you more of a chance to either holler for help, fight back, or see someone and get away in time. So please be aware. Now back off my rant here. So the bike tracks going off the pavement, um, Tara's cassette and the window to her cassette player were all discovered one to three miles south of where Tara was last seen riding north toward her home. Unfortunately, no one actually witnessed her presumed abduction, um, although several witnesses observed that pickup truck. Now, with no one seeing anything, Patty and John waited on updates from police but no further evidence was ever found and Tara had simply vanished. Although there were several reported sightings of her in South, in the, excuse me, in the Southern United States in 1988 to 1989, none of them could be confirmed and the case remains unsolved to this day in 2022. Now, from the time of her disappearance in September of 1988 until June of 1989, there were no major breaks in the case of missing Tara Calico. So, back to the old accounts of the witnesses, right? So, police had found the various witnesses from September 20th who had seen her on the bike and several more who reported the white pickup truck with the camper on the back. Um, which may or may not have been involved with her disappearance. No one knows. But the police felt it was possible that Tara was merely a runaway. Now, that was a theory her family, like, adamantly denied. 
it was impossible, they said. Uh, Tara was happy. She had a boyfriend and she was doing well in school. She had no motive to run away. So I believe the family. I mean, you know, sometimes families can want to just believe so much that they just never believe that they ran away. But honestly, like she was doing really well in her life. She had no reason to run away like police thought she did. But they eventually kind of got over that theory and, you know, realized maybe that's not the case. Now, on June 15th, 1989, the case took a bizarre turn. So nearly nine months after Tara's disappearance, a woman in Port St. Joe, Florida, nearly 1,500 miles away from Tara's home, had made a routine stop or trip to her neighborhood convenience store. Now, as she got out of her car, she noticed a windowless Toyota cargo van was parked in the spot, um, I guess, next to her, whether it be left or right, don't know but it was parked there. She noticed it. Um, She entered the store and she described the van's driver as a man with a mustache who appeared to be in his 30s. Now, when she got done in the store, she walked out. Where the van was, she saw a Polaroid photo lying face down in that parking space. She thought it was kind of odd, so she went over there to pick it up. And the chilling photograph shows a girl who bears a very eerie resemblance to Tara, along with a young boy. Now, the photo is on Instagram. Um, it is very eerie and like, like just, it gave me chills looking at it. But um, it was a woman and a young boy, both bound, both gagged, and staring into the camera. Now, the book in the photo next to the girl is My Sweet Andrina by V.C. Andrews, which was like Tara's favorite author. And it had appeared to be taken inside of the van um, or the back where the cargo was, right? So the woman immediately took it to police. Um, Tara's mother, Patty, believed it was Tara. She insisted that the girl in the photo had a scar on her leg, just like Tara had. Um, She got that scar in a car wreck um, back in, like, childhood. Um, Now, authorities at the time weren't so sure that it was for sure Tara. Um, However, a forensic artist compared pictures of the missing teenagers to it and was about 85% sure that they were the ones depicted in the photo. Now, although police in Port St. John searched for the white van, guess what? Never found. Um, Officers even set up roadblocks, but the vehicle never came through. Um, The photo, like, officials confirmed that the picture had been taken after May 1989 because of the type of film that was used um, and had just recently been made available. So, the Polaroid gained national attention when it was shown on the television program America's Most Wanted. So, experts at the Los Alamos National Laboratory doubted that it was her. And the FBI was unable to offer conclusive evidence either way. Um, Scotland Yard in the UK, however, took a crack at the photo and concluded the girl was indeed Tara Calico. 
Now, what all parties agreed on was that the photo had been taken recently, like I said a minute ago. The Polaroid could have not been taken later than May of that year. The stock it had been developed on hadn't even been available previously. But beyond that, the authorities had nothing. Things became more complicated and confusing when the family of a missing nine-year-old boy, Michael Henley, came forward to identify the young boy in the Polaroid. Michael had vanished in New Mexico as well, um, but it was in April 1988. He was on a hunting trip with his father, and for a time, both families waited anxiously for news. Excuse me. But in the end, only one of the families received answers. Um, unfortunately, in 1990, Michael Henley's remains were discovered in New Mexico's Zuni Mountains, just seven miles from the campsite where he disappeared. Um, he apparently had um, died of exposure long before the Polaroid had even developed, uh, from what they concluded, I'm assuming, after his autopsy. And by exposure, I mean hypothermia. Um, so I'm assuming this is just totally my assumption, just based off of what I read a little bit about um, Michael Henley. Um, at first, it was believed that it was foul play, and then it was not after, of course, you know, they found him, um, like, in the mountains. Now, um, I believe, this is just me, maybe he wandered off or something um and you know got lost but that's just an assumption i'm not claiming to know what happened at all but that's an assumption on my part so after michael's found um unfortunately you know but kind of fortunately because his family gets closure unlike tara's family um 20 years later Another Polaroid photo was found. Um, it was shared by the media. Um, pictures of a boy were sent to the Port St. Joe Police uh, Chief, excuse me, David Barnes. Um, he received two letters postmarked June 10th and August 10th, 2009, from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, one letter contained a photo, like a printed on a copy paper, um, of a young boy with sandy brown hair. Now, someone had drawn a black band, like, in ink on the photo over the boy's mouth as if it were covered in tape, as in the 1989 picture that was found. The second letter contained an original image of the boy. Um, so, on August 12th, the Star newspaper in Port St. Joe received a third letter. Also postmarked in Albuquerque on August 10th, and it depicted the same image. It was of a boy with black marker drawn over his mouth. Now, after Michael was um, found, they obviously had another concern because after they received three letters of a boy in a photo, they still have a missing boy to, you know, find as well as Tara. Um, now, the boy in the photos have not been confirmed to be the same as the first photo found versus the other three that he got later. Um, none of the letters contained a return address or a note indicating the child's identity. 
making the officials there believe it may have been something to do with the disappearance of Tara. Now, the letters were the same at the time that a self-proclaimed psychic had called about Tara, saying she had met a runaway in California with whom she worked in a strip club. This girl was eventually murdered. The caller said that she had dreams suggesting the runaway may have been Tara and that she may be buried in California somewhere. Searchers did not lead to any discoveries. The photos were given to the FBI for further investigation in hope of finding fingerprints or possible, poss- possible excuse me, DNA evidence. Now, I must say, <clears throat> having gifts myself, stay the heck out of investigations. Um, I am sorry. Anyone claiming to just know stuff, like, a whole entire story, that's not how that gift works. We'll go into that maybe another time, maybe not. I don't know. But as someone sharing the same kind of thing, that is not how that works. I don't care who you are, what you practice. Like, that that irks me every time a, quote, psychic medium is coming to the police and being like, I know the whole story, and they're buried in the well. And then they go to the well, and there's nothing there, and you're like, what the heck? It traumatizes the family. Just stay out of it. If you actually, actually have a gift and you know something from that gift, okay. But other than that, stay the heck away from police investigations. Rant over. (laughs) So now that I'm done with my rant, moving on. (laughs) Two other Polaroid photos, possibly of Tara, have surfaced over the many years after her abduction, or supposed abduction. Um, But they have yet to be released to the public, so I was not able to get those. Um, The first was found near a construction site in Monticello, California. And now... Um, From what I could find, it is a blurry photo of a girl's face with tape covering her mouth and like a light blue striped fabric behind her. Kind of similar to that on the pillow in the Toyota van photo. Um, Of course, they're not released, so we have no idea what they look like. Um, But it was taken on a film that was not available until June 1989. The second shows a woman loosely bound in gauze and her eyes covered with more gauze and large black framed glasses with a male passenger beside her on like an Amtrak train. Um, The film used was not available until February of 1990. Now, Tara's mother believed the first one was Tara, but thought the second one may have been like a gag, kind of like, I don't know. Maybe, like, it just was like a prank. I don't know. But her sister stated, quote, They had a striking and uncalming resemblance. As for me, I will not rule them out. But keep in mind, our family has had to identify many other photographs, and all but those three were ruled out. Now, keep in mind, guys, since Tara has disappeared, I have found in, like, one article... Uh, The family has had to look at not just kidnapped victims, not just missing people, but we're talking about murdered females, dismembered females, all kinds of horrific 
photographs that could possibly be their daughter, Tara. So I could only imagine having like either gone to the police station or having them bringing a folder of women to the house and being like, I'm so sorry, this is hard to look at, but can you see if any of these are Tara? And they're like spreading these photos out. Like, I, I feel like that would be the hardest thing, not even just her missing, but just having to almost relive the, like the incident every time somebody goes missing or murdered or something. That's incredibly painful to think about, honestly. All right, guys, let's take a little break. Uh, go to the bathroom, get some snacks and a drink, do whatever you got to do. Uh, come back and we're going to finish the episode. So moving forward, um, or kind of backward, um, I want you to know that in 1998, Tara was declared officially deceased by the means of an unsolved homicide. So the case is still open. Don't get me wrong. They did not close it, but she was declared deceased. Um, at that point, she had been missing for about 10 years. Um, two, uh, like I said, other Two other Polaroid photos have been found of a girl similar in appearance to Tara. Um, investigators found that the Polaroid film used in all three pictures was unavailable until June 1989, as we said earlier. So if these photos were really Tara, it meant that she was still alive at that point. But the pictures had definitely been taken at least nine months after her kidnapping. So in 2008... Witnesses reported seeing two men in a white pickup truck with a camper assault Tara. They claimed that the truck hit Tara's bike, knocking it to the ground, and other witnesses reported seeing the son of a Berlin uh, police officer riding in the passenger side of the truck. Um, jumping forward a little bit, in 2013, a dying man confessed that he had seen three men, including the son of the Bellin officer, throwing Tara's body into a pond, but nothing conclusive was ever discovered. Now, <clears throat> I must say, it would not be the first time, and I don't want to get sued <laughs> for saying anything, but it would not be the first time that officer or officer family uh, crimes would be covered up and looked over. Um especially if the officer was involved in the investigation, which I don't know if they were or not, but conspiracy theory. Um, so who's to say that, you know, that white pickup truck that witnesses seen on the day of, not just years later, but on the day of, like, stalking Tara down the road didn't have the uh, hypothetical officer's son in the passenger seat and... When that hypothetical officer found out about it, he told him what to do with the body. That's just me. But, you know, that's just a theory. I'm not saying or accusing. That's just a theory. So let's, let's move past that before I get myself in trouble. So decades pass and Tara's case is still cold and unsolved. 
Now, despite the creation of a task force specifically for Tara um, to reinvestigate her disappearance in October of 2013, nothing still came up. Um, in 2003, her parents made the decision to move 2,000 miles from their home in New Mexico to Florida. Now, it was a move they had wanted to make for years, but they hadn't been able to bring themselves to do it, which, reasonable, I wouldn't either. You know, some parents stay in the same area that their child goes missing and, like, live out their days there trying to find their kids, you know? Um, but... They always half expected a break in their daughter's case anyway. So after enduring dozens of fruitless tips and appearing on countless shows, including Oprah, Unsolved Mysteries, 48 Hours, and A Current Affair, um, to beg for news of their daughter, Tara, they decided it was time. So here is what Patty Dole said um, of their home in New Mexico. Quote, there's not anything I can do that doesn't remind me of Tara, end quote. So just kind of a breakdown of 20, I was going to say 2018, 2008 and forward. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and give you a little bit of uh, facts of what happened in each year. So if I've already stated these facts, forgive me. This is just so you guys can like get updated and then I have more updates. So um Pretty much that, that is all the information I have on her missing. So these are just facts um, and some tidbits. So 2008, um, Renee Rivera, a Valencia County Sheriff who joined the department the year after Tara went missing, claimed to know what happened in an article for the Valencia County News Bulletin. He says he learned that two men, possibly teenagers, who knew Tara were driving behind her and accidentally hit the bike. He thinks maybe they panicked, uh, drove off with Tara, and then killed her. Um, he alleges the two other men were involved after the murder um, and have knowledge of location of her body. Quote, this is from Rivera, um, we do not, excuse me, we do have a case put together but we want to make sure that this case is a concrete case to where we'll be able to effectively do our jobs. We're just waiting to get a little more evidence, her bicycle, her clothing, or Tara herself, end quote. Rivera is quoted as saying in the article. So he did not name the suspects, of course, but said there were like two men, possibly teenagers at the time of the disappearance, who were following Tara on her bike when some kind of accident happened in a panic. Like I said, they disposed of her body, but without the remains, Rivera said they can't make an arrest. So as of now, no arrests have been made and Rivera has not publicly named anyone. Um, but according to this article on the Investigation Discovery website, Rivera still maintains this theory that he has. Going so far as to say that the boys' families could have been involved in a cover-up, like I was hypothetically saying earlier. Um, moving forward in 2008, uh, John Dole was angered when he learned of this claim that Rivera made. He said that there was no reason for the sheriff to publicly announce his suspicions if he couldn't arrest the suspects. Quote, there's such a thing as circumstantial evidence, said Dole. 
And I know in other places, they've gotten a conviction on strong circumstantial evidence, end quote. 2009. So, Port and St. Joe Police Chief David Barnes received a photograph of a young boy with black marker drawn over his mouth, like we stated earlier. Um, made to look like the 1989 photo, Barnes was mailed a second letter and a third letter. On the days that Barnes' second letter was postmarked, the Star newspaper in um, St. Joe received the same image of the boy with marker over his mouth. As the Star was turning their letter over to police, the Gulf County Sheriff's Department was dealing with another odd coincidence. That day, a psychic called and reported having visions of the case. The woman claimed Tara was buried in California and described a blue Oldsmobile car. Authorities dismissed her account but noted the um, particular timing. So, like, coincidence, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Or, uh, you know what? I could take back what I said about earlier about saying the heck out of the police. Maybe she was being honest. Maybe, you know, earlier it kind of sounded like they they sought out the lead and was like, eh, nothing, nothing happened. But in this one, it's saying, eh, they were just like, yeah, whatever. So, who knows? But even just the details of what I just said make no sense for what actually happened to Tara. So, a blue Oldsmobile car, like, eh, you know, some of that stuff don't match. Anyway, 2013 comes. So, the case was reopened by the local and federal agents. Like I said earlier, they did a task force, um, including agents from Homeland Security, New Mexico State Police Department, Valencia County Sheriff's Office, Albuquerque Police Department, and um, Bernalio County Sheriff's Office. Um, some of the deathbed confessions was made by a man named Henry Brown. Um, like I said earlier, Brown told police that his neighbor... Lawrence Romero Jr. and several friends openly discussed killing Tara on the day that she went missing. Now, Romero's father was the Valencia County Sheriff at the time of Tara's disappearance. <clears throat> Moving forward, so I don't get sued. Uh, 2019, uh, this past October, the FBI announced the reward of 20000 for anyone who had info that would lead to the location of Tara or the arrest of people that are responsible for her disappearance. The FBI released an age progression photo of Tara and what she currently would look like if she was still alive today. That is on Instagram. Please go look at it, just in case. Never know. Um, it's worth noting that two additional photos have been associated with the case. Uh, the one that I said earlier about the construction site and uh, the blurry photo that has not been released, I don't think, still. Um, now, had she not been tragically taken so soon, Tara would have celebrated her 51st birthday on February 28th. Now, her family maintained hope that she would be alive and found someday, but her father, John, and Tara's brother, Chris, noted it's unlikely and that, you know, she's still out there. So, in 2018, Chris discussed Patty's heartache with People Magazine, quote, Mom really did not want to believe that she was dead, period, end quote. Now, Patty spent the rest of her life, um, like, asserting that the girl on the Polaroid was Tara. Um, it was like her glimmer of hope that she would someday be reunited with her daughter. Um, now, 
We'll move to like some forensic kind of thing. Um, so like with the two other photos, right? Um, the blurry one in the construction site, forensic evidence suggests it was taken sometime of May of 1989. Um, the one on the Amtrak train was roughly dated February 1990. Um, now, of course, you know, no charges ever brought. Never knew who took the photos. Um, her mom found the Mont uh, Montecito image compelling and believed it to be Tara. Um, but the train one, she didn't really believe to be Tara. Now, some new leads popped up. 2021. So, in September of 2021, Lieutenant Joseph Rowland with the Valencia County Sheriff's Office reported that a search warrant relevant to the case was executed at a home in Valencia County. Though the warrant, you know, was still sealed. We don't have any details. Um, nothing has been released at the time or at this time, excuse me. Um, and over the years, various potential leads have popped up and kind of fizzled out. But we don't have any updates, I don't think, of this one that I could find. So keep Googling, people. Keep Googling. You never know. Um, another possible thing um, of back then, you know, the suspects, right? So there are no known suspects, but keep in mind the white or light gray colored 1954 Ford pickup truck with a white handmade camper shell that followed Tara. Um, now, authorities are also looking for the white cargo van that was parked at the Junior Food Store in Port St. Joe, Florida on June 15, 1989. Now, it had no windows, and it had a sliding door on the side. Now, granted, that was a long time ago, but some people have that photographic memory of weird crap that they see. So, if you remember that weird van back in Junior Food Store in Port St. Joe, Florida, June 15th, 1989, contact the FBI. Because we want to know about it. Now, at some point, there was a lead from Georgia. That's where I'm from. But they had a lead from Georgia. So, the news bulletin received an email from Lee Blake, who worked for the Dade County Sheriff's Department. He worked there for about 15 years when this article was put out. Um, Blake said he had come across a website Sunday evening about missing persons that featured Tara. Now, his search, through his search, he says, was in regard to a case that had haunted him for the past 25 years. Now, Blake said that he was the first deputy on the scene where a young woman's body was found December 16th of 88 on the side of Interstate 59. Now, while researching Tara's case, he realized the description of the woman that, you know, he had found a quarter century ago kind of matched Tara. So... The woman was about 20 to 25. Tara was 19 when she went missing. She weighed about 125 pounds. Tara, 120-ish, depending, right? Um, five feet, seven inches, the same as Tara. Um, her hair was also a brownish red color with frosted ends. Now, Tara's hair was a little different, but somebody could have dyed it, you know, for, um, I can't even think. 
they could they could have tried to hide her, you know, through hair color and all that kind of stuff. I can't even find the words today. So sorry about that. Um, even though the woman's clothing and jewelry like weren't the same uh, as Tara when she went missing, you know, Blake always wondered about it because I'm sorry, but you know, if you ever, I mean, please don't kidnap anybody. <laughs> Here I am giving advice. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, but if you ever kidnapped anybody, wouldn't you change their appearance? Because, you know, if they're searching for like a, a woman with blonde waist length hair, you would cut it off, right? I mean, you would change the appearance so that way it's a little bit harder. So who's to say it wasn't Tara, right? Now, he said, quote, if I had heard about Tara's case, I would have made contact back then, end quote. And that was on a telephone interview. Now, Blake said they never identified the woman he found. He said no one claimed the woman's body and she was buried in an unmarked grave in Dade County a few years later. DNA evidence and the woman's personal effects are being kept in a crime lab in Atlanta, Georgia. Several years ago, um, the Berlino County Sheriff Dan Houston met Michelle Doyle, which is the sister, while she was jogging in downtown Albuquerque, and she told him about her sister's case. Now, Houston, who was a captain in the department at the time of the disappearance, remembered the case when it happened 25 years ago. Quote, I just have a great respect for Michelle, and I have sympathy for her family. End quote. Another quote was, um, quote, I spoke with Sheriff Burkhardt, and while we didn't actually open an actual case, we were able to profile her case on our cold case website. Now, uh, end quote. Now, Houston also said the department created and distributed a deck of playing cards to inmates in the county jail with pictures and information illustrating different unsolved homicides, including one of Tara. Now, if the, you know, the playing deck interests you, um, there is a podcast um, per audio, Chuck, and I love her, Ashley Flowers. Um, she has a new podcast called The Deck, where she actually covers um, all of the cards of, um, like, the um, playing deck. I can't think. <laughs> so, it's actually really good. They're kind of like a, I would say, more of a shorter story. Um, I think, like... They're like maybe 20, 30 minutes, uh, depending on how much information she has. Um, but it covers all the cards, so it's really cool. Um, you guys should go check it out. Again, that's called The Deck by Ashley Flowers or um, Audio Chuck. So go check it out. It's really cool. It's a good podcast. Now, update, because I, I, I looked just in case. Um, that woman was identified. So they finally was able to identify Jane Doe, um, from back then. So he, thankfully, like he also hopefully got closure. Um, I know like, you know, in law enforcement, you have those cases or those incidents or, you know, that what you see there kind of, kind of messes you up. Um, fun fact, I used to be a detention officer um, I did that for almost three years, um, but I kind of miss that kind of don't, um, not because of, you know, like the crimes or the inmates or anything, just, you know, ugh. 
men in in law enforcement can be blech. anyway so i saw some crazy stuff i heard some crazy stuff i met some crazy ass people um yeah it's very interesting and some things stick with you uh i can share a few things if you guys want just let me know email me uh tell me what you kind of want to hear i don't have too too much crazy stuff because you know we kept everything kind of in a controlled environment but I do have some stories, if you guys want to hear them. Uh, let me know. Just email me, morbidcuriositytcpodcast at gmail.com. And we can kind of go over that maybe later. But the woman was identified as Stacy Lynn. And I tried to figure out how to say her last name. I'm so sorry. Chaskrowski, Um C-H-A-H-O-R-S-K-I. Um, now, the GBI was able to use a new type of genealogy investigation, which has been solving a crap ton of cases here lately. So, I think genealogy is amazing. Um, so, they contacted the FBI and they were able to identify her and be like, hey, we know who this is. So, Stacy was buried in a Dade County Cemetery and her body is expected to be reunited with her family. Um, she would have been 53 as of today, which not today when the article was made. Now, according to the GBI. So, she thankfully, unfortunately, met a horrible end, but got her happy ending and was able to have her body be reunited with her family, which is amazing because most people, unfortunately, don't get that, like Tara. So, it's sad, but it's, you know, something, something real real key, you know. Now, moving on to some updates after everything. Again, this may be repetitive info, but I'm going to drill it into your guys' heads, right? So, Michael Henley, the guy, or excuse me, the boy, not a guy, the boy who um, the parents, you know, maybe I thought that that was him in the Polaroid with Tara, or supposed Tara. Um, that was not Michael Henley in that photo. That is another missing kid that we don't know who that is. We don't know his identity. Um, never had an update about it. So he's also missing. Um, nobody claimed him besides Michael's family who thought it was him. And if you look at the side by side besides their son, Michael, and the kid that was in the photo, I would have thought it was him as well. Um, now, again, um, he was found in June 1990. Um, a rancher riding a fence line discovered a scattering of bones in a thick um, coat, like juniper plants, I guess. Um, the remains were of a child, and they were about six to seven miles from the campsite where he had disappeared more than two years earlier. So he was found pretty quick. Um, now, scraps of clothing found at the scene were consistent with what Michael was wearing when he vanished. Um, Sheriff Craig informed the boy's parents of his suspicion. Um, now, quote, what makes it so hard to identify is he didn't have enough medical records, broken bones, x-rays. He'd only been to the dentist twice, end quote, which is crazy. So I guess the more you go to the doctor, you know, could help you in the long run if you ever go missing. Um, but one by one, other missing local children reports were accounted for. It took five days for the um, Tobola County Medical Examiner to make a positive identification. Uh, the remains were, in fact, Michael's. 
and his death had been a tragic accident. Um, like we said earlier, exposure, um, possible hypothermia. So Michael's father told reporters that it was no relief to know what had happened to his son. Now, I don't know if that feeling had changed since then. Everybody feels different. Some, like my mom, she told me if I ever went missing, she would rather not know, <laughs> which is kind of morbid, but she was like, I kind of rather would not know, but I want to know. And I was like, okay. So, you know, she was like, from a parent's perspective, she said that, you know, if I ever went missing, if I ever was kidnapped, even as an adult, if I ever went missing, she, if she didn't know anything, it would drive her crazy because like, who's to say that I wasn't, you know, um, sold to sex slavery or, um, being abused or like tortured or anything like that. Um, versus, you know, if they found me in a field somewhere or somewhere, anywhere, um, and she had me, she would feel relieved, but she would also feel still like, you know, out of her mind. I don't know. So we had that conversation a while ago. Anyway, so um, Michael was not the boy in the photo. Um, the Henley family now knew what had happened to their son, and they could settle into the grieving. They gave him a ceremony. Um, of course, you know, they buried him properly. Now, Patty and Dole, unfortunately, had... Uh, excuse me, not Patty Endel. Patty and her husband uh, had no such closure, unfortunately. Um, so whether she was conscious of it or not, um, Patty faced a sort of choice. Um, now, I must say, uh, you know, in 2003, they did move to Florida. Um, but unfortunately, sadly, Patty did die in 2006 of complications from a series of strokes after relocating to Florida with her husband, John. Um, but her daughter was always on her mind. Uh, her friends and family say she and John kept a bedroom for Tara, bringing her gifts um, for like Christmases and birthdays and like that kind of thing, which I think is like so sweet. Um, so it's a healthy way to grieve, I feel. Um, now quote, this is from John, quote, Tara and her mother were especially close. I'm just sorry something wasn't resolved one way or another before she passed. It took quite a bit out of her, end quote. Now, following Patty's death, Michelle Doyle, uh, or Dole, excuse me. I think I've been saying that last name wrong. It's just a habit. I say Doyle. Uh, Dole. Michelle, the sister, okay, she has taken the lead in the family in keeping a spotlight on Tara's case. Um, she also does, like, grassroots detective work for, like, her own. So, alongside Tara's high school friend, Melinda Esquivel, the host of the podcast, Vanished, the Tara Calico Investigation, like I said earlier, um, they kind of, like, stepped up and kept... Tara's memory alive uh, along with John after Patty died because Patty constantly was just all about Tara trying to find Tara doing everything she could rightfully so um but you know when she passed somebody needed to step up to the plate and they did and what they do is amazing um now I'm sure that you know John her stepdad um also you know does things as well but you know um Melinda and Michelle has, has done a lot. So, uh, now Tara, Tara's biological father did die in 2002. I don't really have much information on him. Um, however, 
Her stepfather, John, is still alive in hopes that she will be found. Uh, so, you know, like, it's, it's so rough. It's just so rough. Um, I have some more updates to go through as well, but that's just rough. So, I don't want to get myself in trouble. But, going back to that deathbed confession, um, of course, you guys know, you know, Tara um, was no longer to be believed uh, in the photo, I think, of the train, the Amtrak one. Um, but Henry Brown, excuse me, <clears throat> Henry Brown, man, um, he made that deathbed confession to police. <laughs> um, he said that shortly after her disappearance, he had been in the basement of the man named Lawrence Romero Jr., while there, he noticed what appeared to be a young woman's body wrapped in a blue tarp and buried in a makeshift grave. So not only did, you know, the guys talk to him about killing Tara, he witnessed something. So, now, um, Romero, a man named Dave Sylvia, and another man with red hair told Henry that that was Tara. Um, they said that on the day of her disappearance, along with a man named Leroy, tongue-tied, Leroy Chavez, they were all in a truck. They noticed her riding her bike. Um, while trying to get her attention, they accidentally hit her, and they just decided to abduct her. Um, they took her to a grave pit and raped her. Uh, when Tara threatened to go to the police, Romero stabbed her to death, while Sylvia Chavez and the third man held her down. Uh, they originally hid her body in a nearby bush. However, as uh, searches began for her, they moved her body to a basement. Henry told investigators that they had threatened to kill him if they went to police. He also said that they got away with the crime because Romero's father, Lawrence Romero Sr., was the sheriff at the time. <laughs> Um, moving on before I get in trouble. He and the other men's parents also allegedly helped cover up the crime. He apparently found a note written by Romero Jr. confessing to Tara's murder and destroyed it. Sorry, not to yell in your ear. But, ah, this is like the only lead that I kind of believe. You know what I mean? Like, he's going to die anyway. What does he have to, what does he have to lose? You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Those deathbed confessions got me feeling a different type of way, man. Like, those are, those are insane. It's been like, um, I don't know if you guys have went down that rabbit hole. I have, for sure. But it's like some of the nurses, like, oh, you know, I helped this person die on their behalf. And, you know, it's like crazy. So, they never got caught, but they definitely admitted to it. Now, Henry also told investigators that he believed the men later placed Tara's body in a pond near one of their house, uh, near one of their houses, excuse me. He also said that her bike had been disposed of at a junkyard, so God knows that's gone. Um, another man also came forward and told police that one of the suspects had confessed to killing um, as well, or killing Tara as well. Uh, Romero Jr. later committed suicide in 1991. Why are you committing suicide if you didn't do anything? Mm, just saying. Just saying. 
So uh, despite the testimonies of the witnesses, Tara's body has never been found. No charges have ever been filed against the other suspects. Um, oh, I don't know. That one, for some reason, sticks out to me. Like, this man had many details. You know what I'm saying? He didn't just be like, oh, well, he just said he killed her. I don't know. Like, he had a whole dang story about what happened. And then the dude commits suicide later. I don't know. Like, that's something suspicious there to me, anyway. Um, moving on. Moving on. Um, back to Michelle and Melinda. So, you know, after they stepped up, right? Um, the two told reporters that they are still investigating Calico's disappearance. Despite the team being missing for more than three decades, um, Melinda, a filmmaker, decided to make a documentary about the case, but she has came across some roadblocks in the process. Um, Melinda claims that through her research, many have told her they do not wish to talk about the case. She also alleges that some people have threatened her life and that of her family for investigating Tara's disappearance. Hmm. Can we say coincidence? I think not. I wonder who it was that actually threatened her life. You know what I mean? Anyway, moreover, the two women stated that they have uncovered new information. And in 2017, they released a multi-part podcast titled Ban uh, Banish the Tara Calico Investigation. Uh, podcast host uh, Melinda discusses theories regarding Tara's disappearance. Um, so you guys should go check it out and support them and their search for Tara because, you know, a lot of people never give up, but they do an, they do an extra effort. And I think that's amazing, you know, because not a lot of people can do that. So you guys should go check them out. Um, I'm pretty sure it's on Spotify and Apple Pod. I did, like I said earlier, uh, they have moved to Patreon, but that the money that you donate to be on Patreon normally goes to a cause. So you're not just paying to listen. Um, I saw some comments on their podcast that were kind of rude about, I have to pay to listen to this. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like a dollar is not going to kill anybody. Okay. Unless you don't have a dollar. I completely understand. I'm broke too, but I'm just saying, you know, a dollar, $2, $5, $10, whatever that you can give, I'm sure goes to, um, like their, um, sources or their resources, there we go, uh, to help their investigations because they're pretty much funding this by themselves. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people do. A lot of people will fund their investigations themselves after police can't do anything else. So, you know what I'm saying? So, but yeah, guys, um, that is concluding our episode 10. Hope you guys enjoyed. Well, guys, that's all for today's episode. Tune in next Monday for another riveting case where I will traumatize you more than you already are. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out my Instagram at morbid period curiosity period TC podcast for photos related to each case that I cover. Uh, feel free to email me any case suggestions or spooky stories at morbid curiosity TC podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, whatever app you listen on. 
And I appreciate all you spooky listeners. Stay kind, stay spooky, and for the love of God, don't murder anyone.